Now, you made it. Now, we had the two sessions uh, about sex. Uh, you may have found last week pretty confronting. I wonder what you did after it. I wonder what you thought about people who came forward last week. Those filthy sinners going forward. They've got a, they got a sex problem, those people. Maybe you sat there and you thought, oh, I'm glad I didn't go forward. That would be a bit weird. But do you know, the people that came forward last week, and you didn't have to come forward, but the people that came forward last week, that's a really natural thing when you love Jesus. That you actually want to walk from dark things into the light. That's a really natural thing. It's a really good thing. It's a really gutsy thing. And I, and I want to just, I guess I'm just asking you, you didn't have to come forward last week, but what kind of movement happened for you in the last week? Was it a movement from darkness into light? Because I'm absolutely persuaded that there's lots more of you who have got issues with that than came forward last week. <laughs> I talk to people, right? I know these things. <laughs> so did you move toward the light? Did you tell someone in the last two weeks about darkness? That was in your life. Maybe it's not even to do with sex. Because here's the thing, we've all got little pieces of darkness going on inside of us, right? Do you tell people about that? Do you, do you fit in with that really, really natural movement of just moving into the light? Why don't you grab your Bibles? If you haven't got one, you can grab one at the back. And if you don't have one at home, you can keep it. We're going to go to with a text today, which is Ephesians 5. Verse 7 to 14, Ephesians 5, 7 to 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Have a look at verse 8 there. For at one time, you were darkness. Where does darkness come from? This is our first point. Who was afraid of the dark when you were a kid? I was, right? You get afraid of the dark. Plenty of us were afraid of the dark. I mean, there's actually a condition where you can be afraid of a cupboard. <laughs> All right? And I remember reading a newspaper article about people being afraid of cupboard doors that were open at night time when they went to bed. Maybe you're afraid of uh, under the bed. What was under there? You see, there's something about darkness that actually has dominion. Darkness has a way of kind of encompassing things and getting dominion over, over things. You see, I think when we look at our world and we see fear, hopelessness and a desire for control, I think they're really natural things that happen in a murky world where there's darkness around the place. 
They're natural things that happen in a world where you, where you can be blind and not see things, where you can get deceived, when you don't understand things properly, when you don't know the backstories behind things, when you've been surprised by something and you've been hurt by it. It's natural in some ways to be like that. You can be down, right? Who knows this? Like, you can be down. You can have some really, really tough times. Who knows that you can have... Well, I actually think everyone's got an Achilles heel. And given the right circumstances, the right context, you just know that weakness could, it would have you. It would have you for breakfast. And some of you, even as I, uh, even as I speak of that, can think of times where you've just been extraordinarily weak. Because, and this is another team, but all the planets aligned... And you got caught in the pincer grip of the thing that just gets you. The thing that you tell other people that gets you and they go, I haven't got a clue what is your problem, man, because that's not a big deal. But for you, that's, that's the thing. It's like the darkness seems to win at that moment. And here's the thing. <laughs> you weren't made to live in darkness. You weren't made to hide things. You weren't made to have a secret garden. You weren't made to actually have a situation where your weakness, your Achilles heel, would dominate you and you'd be dominated by darkness. Darkness is the fruit of the devil. All right? It's the fruit of the devil. The devil was an angel that wanted to do things his own way, didn't want God to be in the center, wanted to be in the center himself, and led humanity astray. And this is the world that we live in. You know, God created the world out of chaos. He brought order out of chaos. And what did the devil do and what did humanity do? We took it back into chaos, didn't we? It's like God made something really, really good. And in Genesis 3, humanity said, no, I don't want to do things your way, God. And we went back into chaos. And so when you reflect, even right now, about your week this week, there was darkness in your week. There was darkness in you in the last week. Because we brought it back in. But let me tell you, let me give you some good news. There's lots of good news. <laughs> your week wasn't all dark. Do you know why your week wasn't all dark? Because God didn't desert the world when humanity turned their back on him. That's why you didn't have a completely dark week this week. Even if you're in a situation right now where you go, no, it was a completely dark week. It wasn't in reality because God was still here and he was still doing things. No week, even if it feels completely pitch black the whole way through, no week, because of God's presence in the world, no week is a completely dark week. Do you hear me? It just isn't. Because it's a world that God has not left. So what's darkness? Darkness is a person before they become a Christian. Darkness is humanity in an unregenerate state where we've turned our backs on God and we've said, God, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, if God's light and everything else is darkness and we say we don't want to have anything to do with light, what do you end up with? Darkness. <laughs> like it's logical. And any little pieces of darkness that happened for you this week are probably, have got some, something to do with that somehow. Humanity said, let's get away from God. Let's get away from the light. Yeah, that'd be good. That's a good plan. <laughs> That's a great plan. Let's disconnect from life. Let's disconnect from light and do our own thing. That'll work really well. And we've just, we've got, do you see that? Like, that's our world. Like, we can do this. 
Now, here's the thing. The concept of sin, turning from God and darkness, is not hip. <laughs> it's just not hip. Unless it's used to sell stuff. Like, years ago, Magnum had a whole campaign called The Seven Deadly Sins. It's like our culture is almost like if when Christians come out and go, no, there's a darkness problem and there's a sin problem. It's like, well, we love people. People are good. Don't degrade people by saying that there's a sin problem, there's a darkness problem. It's like, let's be positive. Let's be optimistic. But I want to say to you, the only way to deal with the darkness that's in the world is not to deny its existence, but to acknowledge its existence and get to Jesus. Let me talk really, really briefly, and I'm going to do violence to some uh, philosophy here as I go, but let me talk really, really briefly about how a few ways that humanity has tried to handle this whole thing. See, one of the big mega themes throughout human history is this idea that humans are fundamentally good and they just need the right conditions for their good nature to emerge. That is completely different to what the scriptures say. I don't know whether you notice, but in verse 8 here, Paul doesn't say there's bits of darkness in you. He goes, you were darkness. <laughs> you embodied darkness. That's what you were before Christ changed you. It's like our world has said you just need the right upbringing, the right society, the right influence. But can you see the problem with that? If the problem is with my context then moral responsibility goes out the window, right? Because it's everyone else's fault. I've got to just get the right context and then I'll be okay. We can actually get to a perfect society if we get the context right. You know, this notion, and you hear it, you hear it on the news, you hear people talking about the fact that the way that you improve society and you remove disorder is to improve education, to enhance the economy, to re-engineer social structures. And it gets kind of messy, right? Because if poverty's the problem and you fix the problems with humanity just by getting rid of it, you end up in a place where you go, if dot, dot, dot is the problem, we just need to get rid of that too and we'll be okay. And in the Second World War, or just before the Second World War, that was Jews in Germany. The Jews are the problem. They're the ones that are wrecking everything for us, so we've just got to get rid of them and we'll be okay. And maybe you could argue, in our culture at the moment, some people think Christians are the problem. Like, if we just get rid of the Christians, we'll be okay. They're the ones putting a downer on everyone, talking about this sin stuff all the time. But there's a long history in, of humanity trying to understand the core human condition without taking personal responsibility and seeing the sin problem. Jean-Jacques Rousseau talked about the politics of redemption. Listen to what he said. He said, The state is the agency of emancipation that permits the individual to develop the latent germs of goodness hereto frustrated by a hostile society. I can, it's, a, it's an external thing. Now, I want you to hear something from me here. Some of you are going, oh, but doesn't education help? Yes, it does. Isn't it good to have a better economy? Yes, it is. Is it good to get people out of poverty? Yes, it is. Do all of those things have make a contribution to the disorder and the dysfunction and the darkness in our society? Absolutely they do. But the fundamental problem, the fundamental problem with you and me that the Bible teaches is it's you and it's me. 
mean, you can see this in some other areas. You can see um, the notion, and it's not normally promoted by parents, but the idea that children are innocent. <laughs> uh, it is promoted by parents sometimes, but you get my joke. Isn't that it? We, we do not believe that the Bible teaches that children are innocent. See, darkness came in at the fall and a sin nature was given to everyone. Psalm 51, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5 talks about the fact that humanity, because of Adam, has been handed a sin nature. We're bent in the direction of going after sin. You know, and as I mentioned before, we're still in this kind of societal context where we just think it's things external to us that are causing all the problems, like we've just got to get proper education and we can cure the ills of poverty and racism and crime. I mean, you see it in the NRL when an NRL player does some buff-headed thing, some crazy, decadent thing, and what do they do? They go, you've got to go on an education program. <laughs> do you know what needs to happen to them? They need to get converted. That's what needs to happen. They need a miraculous heart change. That's what they need. They don't need, ultimately, an education program. Now, am I saying that education is not helpful? No, I'm not. And will education help them? Yes, but if all you do is education and you say the problem is an external thing, you don't deal with the thing that is most intense and that is the most problematic. See, we are in a culture at the moment that says... We just got to science just needs to find out how to make these biological machines work better. It won't work. It won't work. There won't be a pill to make someone be moral. We're not saying that these, I'm not saying that these things won't help to bring changes in people's lives. I'm just talking about the fundamental transformation that all of us need, that our world needs. It's not about changing our context, it's about changing us. We need to change. And the unfortunate thing about it is I think the world gets on a really good track with a bunch of these things and I think they're really, really helpful. But the elephant in the room becomes personal responsibility, becomes the fact that it's not just that everyone else is dark and my life is messed up as a result of it. I'm dark. I'm dark. I mean, you, you even see it in the church, and let me... Someone said a little while ago, they said, I think everyone went out offended by what you said. So this might be one of those messages just at the moment. It, it is going to get better. Like this saying, love the sin but hate the sinner. Now, a bunch of you probably use that, right? Sorry, love the sin, I hate the sin. Thank you. Some of you probably said love the sin. Yeah, let's get into that. Love the sinner but hate the sin. See, I've wrecked my whole point now. I'll just go on to the next one. <laughs> Do you know what that is? That's kind of like AFL where you get points for trying. I'm not necessarily bagging AFL, but you get my point? It's like the last time I checked, when my kids want to do something and they lie to me, they did it on purpose. They did it. They wanted to do it. They wanted the outcome that came from doing it. Last time I checked, when I do that sort of stuff, it's exactly the same thing. And it's, it's a, I think it's a little bit of a nonsense 
to actually say that we can split the sin away from the sinner. People lie because they want to. I mean, the Bible makes sin a very close personal problem. It's that you and I love things more than God. We worship things more. That's a very personal thing. That's not just some kind of random thing that you kind of got wrong. It's like, nah, that's all right, Peter. We can just kind of shunt that to the side. And we can leave the you that's, it was kind of an accident. Like, it kind of irritates me a bit when I hear people say, they talk about sin like it was a mistake. And you just go, well, sometimes it might be. But there's way more intention going on in sin most of the time than just a mistake. This is probably a really good time for uh, a bit of Kung Fu Panda. Just the, um, this is the other Bible of uh, philosophy and wisdom. They made three movies and uh, they've made three, haven't they? Not four. They just, I don't know, you lose count after a while. This is about Tai Lung. All right, some of you going, who the heck even is that? Well, it's a kind of a leopard kind of cat looking thing that is a bad guy. All right, and he's coming to get everyone. It's a classic movie kind of thing. Here we go. What? Before Tai Lung. Uh, yeah, we're not really supposed to talk about him. Well, if he's going to stay here, he should know. Guys, guys, I know about Tai Lung. He was a student. The first ever to master the thousand scrolls of Kung Fu. And then he turned bad and now he's in jail. He wasn't just a student. Shifu found him as a cub. And he raised him as a son. And when the boy showed talent in Kung Fu, Shifu trained him. He believed in him. He told him he was destined for greatness. It was never enough for Tyler. He wanted the Dragon Scroll, but Ugwe saw darkness in his heart and refused. Outraged, Tai Lung laid waste to the valley. He tried to take the scroll by force. Notice that line. Uh... Uguay saw uh, darkness in his heart. Uh, Dostoevsky, a Russian novelist, said this, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil, evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? We, don't, we didn't just have some darkness in us before we loved Jesus. We were darkness. We were on that team. And the people who brought darkness in was us. We were the ones that did it. This world was a world that didn't have any darkness in it, and we were the ones that brought it in. And I want to highlight here this morning, we need to be converted. I want you to hear me this morning. Have you been converted? There is a miraculous work that God does in the heart of people that converts them and changes them. You don't just need Jesus to be another God that you sit on your mantelpiece. It kind of helps you out. He's not an add-on. You actually need complete transformation. That's what you need. 
So don't, I mean, don't come to church today. If you don't know Jesus, don't come to church today and just go, I'll just add Jesus to what I'm doing. No, you need a complete transformation internally. That's what you need. And those who have had that complete transformation, I'm sure would say without a shadow of a doubt that I was different after that happened. Is anyone with me on that? I was different. A miraculous thing happened and I miraculously changed and my desires and a whole bunch of things changed inside of me. Let's not kind of think we can just add Jesus in. (laughs) We need to be converted. And let me just add this. We needed, if you love Jesus, you needed rescue. And if you don't love Jesus today, you're not sure whether you're even converted, you need rescue. Because you are under the dominion of darkness. We can't just keep blaming society for all of the ills. Society's made up of people, right? We need people. We personally need to be rescued and transferred from darkness to light. Colossians 1.13, Paul writes this, he says, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And do you know what happens when you get transferred into the domain of of light your behavior becomes diametrically opposed the opposite of what it was like when you were in darkness what dispels darkness come back with me to verse 8 of Ephesians 5 for at one time you were darkness personified but now (laughs) you are what light how do you get to be light? Just what's the next three words in the ESV there? Now you are light in the law. Now, a really dodgy, just base level metaphor here for you, right? A light becomes a light when it gets plugged into power, doesn't it? Or it has a power source. And it's dark when it's not. You see, it's not that you need to have your environment improved. It's that you need to be changed. And the way that you get changed from darkness into light is by being joined to Jesus, being plugged into Jesus. When you get connected to Jesus, you become light. Do you see that? Now, I was thinking about a, uh, a metaphor or a, uh, a picture of this, and this is the best one I've got. And I actually think it's a pretty good one, to be honest. Just saying. Luminescence. You know, the the most luminous thing in the universe is what? The sun. Now, most of you have seen, I'm sure, a watch that has parts in it that are luminous. But they they don't heat up. They don't need a battery to run them. How do you actually get a watch to shine? Well, you stick it really close or in the presence of an intense light source. Don't you do that? And do you know what happens when you stick your watch in the presence, and my watch does it here, in the presence of a light source, is it becomes light. Do you see that? The light shines on and it becomes light. If I went outside right now and I stood in the sun, and the sun came from, out from behind the clouds, and I held my watch out like this, I wouldn't actually be able to see my watch shining, but do you know something? It would be shining. Because that's how it works. The sun shines on it and my watch starts shining. The only reason why you can't see my watch shining is because the sun's stronger. Is everyone with me? 
And, and my watch, if I went into pitch blackness, my watch would keep shining for a period of time because it's actually been in the presence of an intense luminosity. Let me tie all this together on this point, 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let me do a really dodgy paraphrase right now with the illustration I just said to you. God is light. He is the most luminous being in the universe. There's no darkness in him. And his luminosity, his shininess, his lightness doesn't have any darkness in it and it's never going to stop being light. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we're perfect and walk in the light, it doesn't say that, does it? It's not saying that you need to be perfect. It's just saying that you live a confessional life. And I don't mean the confessions. I mean you live a life that confesses things because that's what it means to walk in the light. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light. He is his splendor, his glory, his truthfulness, his purity. His light is empowering. It helps us to see things. It has effects. God's light has shone on us in the person of Jesus, and we walk in that light. And we become, folks, we become like a watch that glows. <laughs> and we, we actually become light. Not the same as him, but as in a reflection. It's like we've been in his presence. We've been in the intensity of who he is. And it changes us. Lewis says this. He says, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that, it, that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very centre of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Listen to this. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? Folks, God lights us up. Doesn't he? Anyone got an amen for that? He, I mean, you light up my life. <laughs> Is it, could it ever be any more intense and purer than saying that about God? You light up my life. Number three, the effect of light. Come with me to verse 8 to 11 in Ephesians 5. <clears throat> Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. There's probably a whole bunch of really annoying people who really like that last verse. Verse 11. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like really annoying Christians who just go out and just start bagging people. 
Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. Keep looking at that text there. Notice this. Light is fruitful. You notice that? Darkness is not. Darkness is sterile. It's unfruitful. It doesn't replicate. It's a dead end. Light, on the other hand, replicates. <laughs> it enlivens. It, brings, it lights us up. And that's what good does, right? Good lights people up and evil and darkness kills people. And here's the thing, here's what I want you to get today, looking at that text there. The more light you have, the more you want. That's normal. Like it's normal. If you love Jesus and he's converted you and he's changed you and he's changed your heart, the more light you get, the more light you want. You just want to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. That's what Paul's saying here. Like you just want to get brighter. You want more of that, that stuff that is light, the goodness. And I... I'll ask you right now. What do you love that is not light? If you love anything, if you love Jesus and you love anything that's not light, something's malfunctioning. You're malfunctioning as a person. You're malfunctioning as a child of God. Now, God's not going to desert you. He doesn't do that. But there's a malfunction because that's not normal. It's not normal for someone who has been brought alive by God to want darkness. And it's a good question this morning. How can you develop a taste for what is good, right and true? That's what Paul's saying here, right? Now, let me give you a rap. Does anyone want a rap? No one wants a rap. I'll keep bagging you then. You know what, Here's, I want to say this to you, if you love Jesus, you do this more than you think. You just do. You, you probably don't even notice how much you're thinking about the fact that you want more and more light. You want to be more and more like God. We had a conversation with some people earlier this week in the project, and we just, we just got talking about just our days and the moments in our day where the thought just kind of crossed our mind, well, we just want to be like Jesus. And you know what, I know without having to talk to any of you, that the fruit of what God has done inside in converting us is that people who love Jesus have had moments through each day this week where they're going, what would God want me to do right now? And that's, that's part of what this text is in this text. It's like try to discern what's pleasing to God. You know what's pleasing to God? Do things that are good, right and truthful. <laughs> and it's been happening this week. And this is, I'm giving you a wrap. And I haven't even had a conversation with you. I want to say you did really well this week in a whole bunch of areas. And, and the, do you see what like the contagious nature of light is like? We've got a bit, so let's just get some more. <laughs> let's get more of that. See, Jesus has shone on us. It's revealed our darkness. It's changed us into light. We want more light. And do you know what the outcome out of all of that is? You just get really bright and you start illuminating other darkness. That's, that's just how it works. I don't think what Paul's talking about here is in, in exposing darkness is like going out there and just opening your trap all the time and being judgmental toward people and saying how lousy they are. The world doesn't need any more of those kind of Christians, probably. But the world needs a lot more Christians who are like my watch, who get really, really close to the most luminous 
the brightest light in the universe and they shine really bright and then everywhere they go, they're shining light and they're exposing darkness. Do you see the difference? Here's the thing. You already do expose darkness if you love Jesus. If you're being like God, you just do. It's, like, it's not like Peter's got a five-point plan that you can go home and it's like, this is how we can expose darkness. You know what my plan is? Just get really close to Jesus and be really good friends with him and talk to him all the time and just want to be like him and you know what's going to happen? You're going to expose darkness. Am I saying that there isn't a time for Christians to stand up and say things that expose darkness? No, I'm not saying that. Well, there are times for us to do that. But the lion's share of darkness exposure <laughs> is not us ranting and raving from a soapbox. It's us going out and living it and loving Jesus and being so bright because we've been right next to Jesus. And you know where a really, really good place is for a light? In a really dark place. I remember reading a, uh, a fellow called Juan Carlos Ortiz. He's a pastor in uh, Argentina. And he had a guy come up to him and say, um, I, think, I think I need to change jobs. And the guy's job was working in the Ford assembly plant in Argentina at the time. And uh, Ortiz said to him, uh, why do you feel like you need to change job? He goes, because I'm the only Christian there. You know what Ortiz said, right? Oh, you're in exactly the right spot. You just need to stay right there. Because that's the deal, right? That's the deal with darkness. Can you duck across with me to uh, Matthew 5? Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. This is Jesus. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, I listened to uh, Matt Chandler recently talk about this, and he said, salt never loses its saltiness. The only way that you can make salt lose its saltiness is to dilute it. That's the only way you can do it. It is no, good, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the what? The light of the world. Jesus shining through you. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, like the woman. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. That's a dumb thing to do. I mean, he's saying that's not what you're supposed to do. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, hear this, people, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the way that you're meant to be bringing light to places around you. And you're already doing it a bit, but here's my challenging question for you. What wattage are you? What wattage are you? You know, I don't want to go into it. 
really, but how different are you to people around you? You know, I think it's First Peter says, uh, be, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And I just go, well, how many people are asking you? Like, does it look like you've got a different hope to everyone else? Does the way that you do money look different to everyone else? Does the way that you do family look different to everyone else? Does the way that you respond in the middle of gossip look different to everyone else? Does the way that you do marriage look different to everyone else? Does the way that you do sexual immorality look different to everyone else? If it doesn't, you're probably a low wattage. And do you know, do you know I'm going to come back to the watch thing one more time. The hands and the markers on a watch that are luminous are not going to get brighter by trying harder. They're just not. They're not going to get... How do they get brighter? They get brighter by being in a source of light, an intense source of light. So here's the thing. I'm not saying to you that you've got to go home and try harder at being better at all those things, at being different. What you do need to do is you need to go home and try harder to be in the presence of God and to know walking with God and being his friend and talking to him about stuff. I mean, one of the guys in my redemption group that I led over in Cleveland, in Columbus it was, he sent me an email and he said, you know, one of the things that I've started doing during the day is I just stop every now and then and I just write a little couple of sentences in my book as like a prayer to God because I just want to let him know what's going down in my day. And, he, and he's just built in that discipline. And what's he doing? He's saying, I want to be next to the light. <laughs> Charge me up. Do you even read the Bible? <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, he's banging on about discipline now. Well, that would be a way to be next to some really intense light, wouldn't it? <laughs> Let me finish here. Back in Ephesians 5 there. I trust by this point in time you realise this is like a massive no-brainer. And I don't even need to say anything about it, really. Although I will, because you know me. I just, I've always got to say something about something. Verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. That's, that's obvious, isn't it? Like if someone's doing something in secret, in darkness, why would we want to talk about it? Like that doesn't make any sense. You've got someone who's in the light, who's been lit up by God... Why would you want to talk about stuff that happened in the darkness? And I mean, really, man, like, this is like teed up already. I'll just smack this with a one wood. Like, that is our news, 24-7 news feed, isn't it? Let's just tell people the stuff that's happening in the darkness. And then we'll all get around and have water cooler conversations about it. Oh, did you hear about this thing? Did you hear about what Kevin Spacey did all those years ago? Now, am I standing up here saying... You're not allowed to say that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it doesn't make sense for people who live in the light, who love the light and just want to be good and righteous and true like God is and who just want to be really close to him so they shine really brightly to talk about crap. 
That's what the Greek says. <laughs> Do we really need to know everything that everyone does in secret? Darkness can stick to you a lot. Darkness can get normalised by talking about darkness. I'm just saying, if you love Jesus, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. I'm going to finish with a, uh, a short story. Um, I might get emotional. About a, a, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, my wife's granddad died, and he was a legend. <laughs> He's not even a blood relative of mine, but he was a legend. He uh, had his faculties, he was thinking right through to the end. He's 97. And uh, you might go, well, he had a good innings. And I say, yeah, well, he did, but he was such a good man that it's never good to lose a good man. There's not enough good men on the planet. And you just don't want to lose him, even when he's 97. So last week on Thursday, we drove up to, uh, to Rocky and uh, went to um, his funeral on the Friday. We drove home on the Saturday. And the Friday night, one of uh, my wife's aunties said, let's just get everyone together and we'll have a barbecue. And There was this beautiful moment that happened um, at the end of the, the barbecue uh, because they'd been to his house and they grabbed all his stuff and all the kind of knick-knack things. And the it's a bit pathetic, isn't it? I'll pull it together. And what are we doing? Well, everyone's kind of in there in this lounge room. And there's all this stuff scattered on the floor, and it's all Bob's stuff. It's Grandad Bob. It's great Grandad Bob for our boys. I mean, it was only five years ago that my boys were kicking the footy with him on holidays. You know, he was in his early 90s. You know, boys are really connected to him. There's all these like knickknacks on the floor. There's a, his discharge papers from the army. He went to World War II. You know, and then the, the, there were the stories that were going on. You know, there was the stories about him climbing up in a tree with an axe and his brother climbing up behind him and him dropping the axe and hitting his brother on the head. Just the handle. There were stories about, I think, him being in the, in the army. There were stories about how well into his 80s he would, in Yapoon, he'd mow people's lawns to help them out and he'd get paid $5 for mowing their lawns or something up in Yapoon. There was, there was lots of talk about how he was a hard worker, just a, a, an amazing work ethic. There was a story told about how it was his job to set up the, uh, the lawn bowls at the local church. I mean, he loved Jesus and it was his job to set up lawn bowls and there was a day when he went down and he just wanted to get the lawn bowls sorted out and set up so that everyone could come and play and he had a heart attack. And he didn't call the ambulance until after he'd finished setting up. <laughs> There's another story uh, that was told about 
uh, Grandad Bob, that he went when he was in his mid-70s or 80 or something, I can't remember when it was, he went to give blood. And there was records there that he'd given blood 57 times. And he got to give blood and they said, you can't do this anymore because you're too old. And he got cranky <laughs> about that. And do you know what was happening? I, I just stood and I watched this. And it was happening for me personally too. But as this whole like, little moment was kind of happening, do you know what my sons were doing? They were learning about Grandad Bob. And what they were learning about Grandad Bob is they weren't just learning stories about Grandad Bob. They were learning about Grandad Bob some things that they probably need to copy. So I get home and, and one of my sons on two different occasions, two different days, just makes the comment, I can't believe Grandad Bob got upset that he couldn't give blood. And what's he saying? He's actually saying, Grandad Bob was so generous. And as, we, as, he, as he recounts the story in his mind, do you see what's happening? He's going, I need to be like Grandad Bob. And it's, he probably doesn't even think that much, but that's what the stories did. And that's what that night did where we all sat there and we looked at this stuff. It's like, who am I? The boys are, that, that was the thing, like identity-wise, the boys were being located on that night because they were learning who one of their relatives were. But they weren't just being located by who someone was. They were being led to imitate the person that they had in front of them. See, this is what Christian community is meant to be. We get all of God's knickknacks and we get all of his stories and we get his papers and we sit and we talk about him and we talk about Jesus and we talk about how he fed the 5,000 and how the, the, the paralytic got lowered in through the roof and the first thing Jesus did was he forgave his sin because that was his biggest problem and then he healed him. And then we talk about what happened last week when he changed me, when there was a, where I needed to be changed. Do you get my point? And we sit there and God doesn't just locate us with our identity in the past, but he actually pushes us forward into absorbing more identity in the future. That's what we're doing today. What we're doing today, what I'm doing today is what happened with my boys with Grandad Bob. <laughs> we're talking about him. And as we talk about him, we want to imitate him. And that's normal and right. <laughs>